Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 1, 4 through 8. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this Sunday. Uh, pray for Ryan, God, that you would give him uh, the words to speak, Lord, and um, just that your spirit would be in this place today. Amen. Good morning. Great to have you all here with us as we're continuing to journey through our series, Disciple Makers. I was thinking, you ever just sing a worship song and it just, just rings true in you? You know, that was one of those songs that you just led us through there, just to be like him, to be like him. And the beauty of the gospel is this. You get to be made like God. Amen? That is the beauty of why we gather together here. Not so that we can worship a God that is so far away that we can't know him. Not so that we can stand together and honor a king who is not our king. But so that we can be made like him. That's the beauty of what we're talking about this morning. Last week we just we talked about the idea of, of disciple making and the fact that to be a disciple maker, you first have to realize that your identity is of a disciple of Jesus. And, and that comes through this relationship and abiding with Jesus, living in deep fellowship and community with others, and giving your lives away to others for the sake of people being made like God, disciples. This morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different, just like we did last week. I'm going to invite a friend of mine up on stage to share a little bit about his journey in following Jesus. So would you guys welcome John Hudson to the stage with me? Welcome, John. I was thinking, we first met before the church started in uh, maybe like 2014. We were sitting at Panera together. We were talking about some books you were reading together. But anyway, man, we've been journeying together for a long time. John was part of the original launch team where we were setting up and tearing down and Cornerstone. And man, we thought it was a ton of work back then. We had no idea. <laughs> uh, John, so just tell us a little bit about your, your spiritual journey. Well, I was born into a non-Christian home. My parents became believers when I was five or six years old. Went to private Christian school 10 out of 12 years of my schooling. So studying the Bible and memorizing scripture was academic for me. Mm. It was really devoid of relationship. It was just knowing the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, but it was going to church and um, there really wasn't much relationship. And so 
really I'm a recovering Pharisee is what I am. Um, I'm just like what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, you know, you study the scriptures because you think in them there's life, but yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Hmm. And so really that was my story. Living that way under the law without understanding grace and God's love for me, it creates all kinds of dysfunction and fear, guilt, and shame, sin patterns, and just really because the gospel is what sets us free, that God left heaven and came to earth to die for me and give me new life and that I'm loved. Mm. I didn't feel loved. I felt judged. I felt that, it, that, that uh, the church and Christianity was rules to be, to be obeyed. And as I studied those rules, I realized that I couldn't keep the rules. Mm. So I actually wound up leaving the church for a season because I was smart enough to know that I can't do this, totally missing out on that piece that, yeah, right, you can't do it. That's the whole point of the law is to put us to death so that we can have a new life through Christ. So that's the backstory. So these last four years, I mean, anybody that, that knows John, uh, God has been doing work in John, and it's just, I mean, it just exudes from your life, brother. So just let us in a little bit about how God's been setting you free over these last, I don't know, four or five years that we've been journeying together uh, here in New City. I think one of the key pivotal things was before Discipleship Group, the Shaws did a class. Uh, we were still meeting in Cornerstone on emotionally, uh, spiritually healthy. It was kind of a crash course. It wasn't as in-depth as I would like to have gone into, but it was enough for me to see just the deep brokenness within me mm. um, and to see that this religion that I was trying to, the law that I was trying to keep was impotent and the emotional breakdown, just the, this, the real dysfunction within my own heart. And so that was a, a thing that God really started to pick the scab off the wound, so to speak, so he could start to clean it out. Getting into a discipleship group was great. You know, all of us men, we want to have relationships, but I think men by and large are probably the most lonely people because we really don't have friends. We talk about sports, we talk about the weather, we talk about our jobs but we don't talk about anything meaningful. We don't talk about our hurts, um, our hang-ups. We don't talk about the habits, the, the sin that we struggle with. And so we're very lonely people. And uh, so getting into the discipleship group was, was a, a key thing for me because I remember one of the men in my discipleship group, he opened up about his personal struggles and something leapt within me because it was like, yes, you know, I'm not the only one. He told me about CR, Celebrate Recovery, and if you don't know what CR is, it's, uh, it's um, a place for people with hurts, hang-ups, and habits, uh, and I think that's pretty much everybody in this room. <laughs> we all have them, and we all go to places apart from Christ when we're not finding our identity and our peace and joy in Him. We all go to places that are sinful, and so for me, that was the beginning of the journey to begin to know that how loved I am and that there's freedom in that love. Fear is the, is the thing that keeps us from, it, you know, since the Garden of Eden, fear, they hid from God. And so when I'm consumed with fear and trying to keep the law, I run and I hide and I don't want people to know who I am. The Word says that perfect love casts out fear. Mm. And that's the pivotal thing for me is, is really coming to understand, beginning to understand how loved I am. Steve Brown's book um, was, a, was a huge one for me. This was all kind of uh, at the same time, A Scandalous Freedom. 
and uh, began to really, God began to really sink it, sink the roots deep in my heart that, you know, it's not about keeping the law. Jesus kept the law for me. I don't have to keep the law. That freedom that comes with that is what leads to real transformation mm -hmm. and a life of transformation. So just lastly right here, there's some guys out here that you're, you're kind of reading their mail right now, if you know what I'm saying. Amen? What would be just your hope for them to take maybe a step in the direction of getting set free by the power of the gospel? Man, just get into a D group with guys that you can take your mask off with and because we're all struggling. We're all struggling with different flavors of the same stuff. Come out of the shadows and step into the light because there's freedom in the light as God exposes things, it loses its power, mm -hmm. and amazing things happen. Yeah. Would you guys uh, thank John for, for joining us this morning, Sharon? Thank you, brother. You know, he said he was nervous, maybe for a minute. I think he was ready to preach, so we'll put you, on the, put you in the lineup, John. Thank you so much for sharing, brother. Well, um, as you picked up on the big idea today, uh, it's really about this. It's, we're, we're looking at the same scriptures that we're so familiar with, but what I really want to lean into today is the role of the Holy Spirit in making us like Jesus. The role of the Holy Spirit. So here's our big idea. The Holy Spirit empowers us to make mature and multiply responsible disciple makers. If you've got a Bible, flip it open to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Matthew is one of the, the accounts of the life of Jesus. And the interesting thing about the Gospel of Matthew is how it starts and how it ends. I want you to sense the theme of what it, what it is here. Matthew 1.23, uh, the Gospel writer opens up by saying this, Behold the virgin, he's, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 7, we usually read this around Christmas time by the way, but he's quoting Isaiah 7 and he says this, Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's the whole reason Jesus came is so that God could be with us. It's the whole aim of discipleship. God with us. Us in God. It's this promise that we have. Now, let's flip, flip back to Matthew 28 a few pages. where We're going to read the Great Commission just like we looked at it last week, but we're going to look at it at a little bit different angle. I want you to focus on the last phrase. Now, this phrase is often the most overlooked part of the Great Commission. We so love to do what God's Word says, like, like John said. I mean, we're doers. We want to do those things, and those are great things, but we forget about where the power to do and make disciples comes from. And Jesus came to them and He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. God's entrusted Me with it all. In other words, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, people that aren't like you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the Gospel, teaching them the Word, teaching them who God is. And, uh, and behold, here it is right here. I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, what's His name? Emmanuel? God with us? It's the same theme. He's with us as we go and make disciples. It's interesting to look at how the Gospel of Matthew begins and ends with the same thing that Jesus desires to be with us. Some of us in this room don't believe that today. 
He is the one that changes us and continues changing us forever by applying the life of Jesus to us and transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus. That's why we can say here at New City, when we talk about discipleship, Jesus is the one discipling us through the Holy Spirit, but we just all get to participate in it together in that journey. He's the one that's doing it by His power. And so what I want to do is explain this by, by looking at three points. I want to look at making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. So let's, let's dig in here to the first point. Make. This is the Holy Spirit's role in spiritual birth. One of the other apostles uh, who, who wrote a gospel narrative was, was a doctor, Dr. Luke. He was a physician, and he wrote this two-volume two uh, account of the life and work of Jesus and his church. The first one was the Gospel of Luke, and the second one was the book of Acts. And uh, the book of Acts is this, is this beautiful story about how Jesus continued to do work through the church. Now, if you remember, Jesus told his disciples to hang out and to wait. And so there they are sitting in Jerusalem, waiting for this promised Holy Spirit. And uh, the book of Acts is where we pick up in that. It's how the book of Acts begins. Because if there's no Holy Spirit, there's no expansion of disciples and church planting and change lives all over the face of the earth. There's no New City Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia. I can promise you that. So it starts with the Holy Spirit. Let's listen to it. And while they were staying with them, they were waiting for the Holy Spirit, they ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, you heard from Me, for John baptized with water, this baptism of repentance, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, meaning cleansed, made alive, made anew. And I just want to pause really quickly on that. A new city, we, we believe that there's, that there's, that there's one baptism, and, and when we come to faith in Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the Scriptures say that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit when we profess faith in Him. So if you've made a profession of faith, you've given your life to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Okay? There, there's no extra thing that you have to do to get the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life. Now, you become more aware and empowered as you walk with Jesus? I think so. I think we see instances in the book of Acts where the, the, it says that the Spirit was poured out on a group of people. I think that happens. But the baseline for spiritual life is faith in Jesus. And then you've got the power of what we're talking about right here, the Holy Spirit. So let's continue reading. He says, so when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They wanted this imminent and immediate expectation that God would make all things new. But as we see, He's doing it a different way than what they expected. But He says to them, picking up here, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons uh, that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power. Dunamis, same word for dynamite. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what will that power be? It'll come upon you and it'll be power to be a witness of Jesus Christ. In Jerusalem, where they're already at, in Judea and Samaria, kind of the, the areas outside of Jerusalem, and it's to the ends of the earth. So this power that's going to be given to them by the Holy Spirit is primarily power to make disciples of Jesus, to walk alongside people and help them find Jesus and be made like Him. 
That's the whole reason the Holy Spirit came is so that you and I can meet Jesus Christ. It's the whole reason. And He gives gifts so that we can build up the church and encourage one another. And we can be about life together. And He he gives conviction and repentance and all of those things. But it's all about us being made like Jesus Christ. The key thought of this point that I want to make is this. is disciples of Jesus are birthed by the power of the Spirit. You know, it's interesting. There's this passage in John chapter 3. Maybe you've heard of it before. It's Jesus and this guy named Nicodemus. Say that with me three times fast. I thought I'd get somebody to. Nicodemus. Nicodemus is this ruler of the Pharisees. And, and, and he approaches Jesus at night. Jesus had just began his ministry. He, there was a buzz going on about Jesus, especially in the, the Pharisaical community the religious leaders of Judaism in that day. And uh, so Nicodemus gets this idea. He's like, you know, I've got to go meet Jesus. I've got to go meet him because he's different than the other guys around here. And he's, you know, he's a rabbi too. I mean, so what's so different about him? And so, and so Jesus goes to Nicodemus and he says, ba- basically, you know, I, I want to see the kingdom of God. How do I see it? Uh, And Jesus looks at him and he says, Nicodemus, you want to see the kingdom of God? You have to be born again. And at this point, like, just the anatomy of it all is kind of going through his head. You know, like, genetically, like, I mean, Jesus, what are you talking about here? How does this happen? And he's speaking of this spiritual birth that will have to take place to be a disciple of Jesus. Something new has to happen. Even though you've got all of these degrees, you've got all of this stuff, you're a religious leader in the, Jude- in, the, in, the, in the Jewish community, you have to be born again, Nicodemus. You have to become like a child in your faith so that you can get the kingdom of God. And so he's been hiding under the guise of his religious activity and Jesus meets him and, and, and talks about this new birth. And this new birth is what I want to talk about and, and in, the, in the, the context of what it means to, to make disciples. The, the thing that we have to understand is this, is that it's not the things that we've been doing for God that make us disciples. Our activity and the things that our life produce prove that we already are disciples. And so what begins to happen in the life of a disciple is there's this birthing moment. And sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not, because God, the Scripture said that God is the one that raises us from the dead. And and, and the, the interesting thing is, is, is you're wondering, do I have the Holy Spirit, do I not? If you're interested in the things of Jesus and the Scriptures come alive to you, God has already taken the blinders off of your eyes, church. He's already making you alive. He's already discipling you. And this is what He continues to do. And Ezekiel prophesied about this in Ezekiel 36, this idea of spiritual birth. And, and kids, I want you to think about this. Some of you are going through the Kids and Students Covenant Partnership class where you're wrestling through your faith. And we're super proud of you as a church and, and, and how you're wrestling through this. But God has to remake our hearts. Our old ones are not fit for the kingdom. Ezekiel talks about this in Ezekiel 36, uh, 26 and 27. The Scriptures say this. He's prophesying and he says, I will give you a new heart, God says this, and and a new spirit I will put within you. Keyword spirit there. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, that is the one that walks in its own way and has little regard for the things of God. I'll remove that from you. And in its place I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So what Jesus has come to do by the power of the gospel church is to take that heart in yours that is calloused and hard and, and is, knows it all and doesn't want to be taught anything and isn't humble, that heart that lives inside of each of us or has lived inside of each of us, and he wants to take a sledgehammer to it and bash it into a million pieces. That's what he wants to do because he's so eager to give you his heart. A heart that is beating by the power that is not within you. The power of the Holy Spirit that makes the things of God come alive inside of you. The Holy Spirit melts those hearts of stone and He conforms them into these hearts of flesh that are sensitive to what He's doing in the world and sensitive to the community around us and most of all sensitive to the heartbeat of God. He promises this in John 14 Jesus is sharing with His disciples. They're all wigging out because he's going to leave and he's, he, he's like easing them into it. Hey guys, I just want you to know I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm going to go to be with my father and, and they're, they're freaking out and Thomas is like, how do we get there? How do we know the way? And he's like, you'll know the way, the truth, and the life, you know. But later in John 14, he says this, but the helper, this is the title of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So church, what has the Holy Spirit come to do? To teach you and change you and make you like Jesus. He's constantly shining the spotlight on Jesus in our hearts and off of ourselves. He's making us alive to the things of God and magnifying the person and the work of Jesus in our lives. And, and the Scriptures show us that through the Spirit we're born again to this living hope. And, and Jesus is not just a religious figure anymore. He's all of a sudden life to us. And church, there are some of you in here who have who've been born again to this hope and you can't contain it. John is one of these guys. There's many of you in the church. But there's others of you that have been keeping Jesus at a distance. I'm just not going to let you in. And what we do when, when, we, when we refuse to, to follow Jesus and to embrace His love and be filled with the power of the Spirit is we continue to live in bondage. We continue to live in these prisons that we make for ourselves because our hearts of stone will never lead to our salvation. And Jesus has come to set you free. So I just want to ask the question for you to consider. Has Jesus melted your heart today? Has He given you this new spirit and life inside of you that magnifies His work in your heart? Because we'll never be able to go and make disciples unless we are first a disciple. The other side of this is that you can be investing your life into someone and them not get it, not get it, not get it, not get it. And all of a sudden, the light bulb clicks, the heart is new inside of them, and everything that you've been saying comes into order. I've seen that happen so many times. So as you are seeking to make disciples, disciple makers in the room, I want to encourage you to wait on the power of the Spirit to do the work. To wait. To, to trust, to pursue those of you that have kids in here that aren't following Jesus. He who began the good work will carry it to completion. Trust, follow, obey, pray. I've said this over and over again, but people that have younger kids write books on how to parent. People that have older kids write books on prayer. It's true, okay? This is why. Because Jesus is the one that brings people to life. Amen? Second thing is this. Maturity. 
the Holy Spirit's role in spiritual growth. Uh, when we think about discipleship, most of the time we, we, uh, we think about this. We think about the maturity piece. We don't think about the birth piece or the multi- multiplication piece. We think about maturity. Now, it's interesting because I don't know about you, but here's what I think spiritual maturity should look like. Like this, right? It makes sense. I followed Jesus. My life got better. I didn't sin anymore. Everything's great. But church, here's what spiritual maturity actually looks like. Right? It's like this twisty road. It's, it's all over the map. It's like backwards, upside down. It's like, where am I? I need a compass, Jesus. Where are you in all of this? That's what spiritual maturity actually looks like. It looks like this winding road. And it's, it's mysterious because, I don't know about you, but some of the times that I've seemed to be the farthest away from God in my heart are the times that He's done the deepest work and the most lasting work in my life. It's those times that He's met me on the road to Damascus, like Paul, when I was just running straight away, or, or like Jonah, when I was headed to Tarshish. I was just running straight away from Him. He met me and He did an eternal work. The key thought about this point is this, is there is mystery in maturity. Because it is brought about through the Holy Spirit. And His ways are higher than our ways. And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, as Isaiah said. Some of us in here are frustrated maybe with our own spiritual growth. We're not as far as we thought we would be at this point in our lives. We thought we'd be able to handle sin a little bit better than we did this, you know, maybe this, this year. Or, or maybe you're in here and, and um, you know, you've been investing your whole life into a group of people this last year. Or, or a family, or, or whatever it would be, those that are entrusted to your leadership, and, uh, and you think, wow, are they getting anything that I'm talking about? Do they even care about what we're going after here? I get it, because we like tangible results, we like proof, and we like to show that our investments in the lives of others really pay off. Jesus um, tells this, this parable that's after the parable of the soils in Mark chapter 4 that I want you to look at. And it, it's, it's similar, but it's kind of different. It's, 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 this, it's this parable about how seed grows. It's very helpful for me. And I want you to think about it through the lens of spiritual maturity, okay? Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 28. Uh, Jesus says this, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and it grows. And this is my favorite part. He knows not how. He doesn't know how it grows, but it does. The earth produces by itself, in the Greek that word by itself means automatically without the farmer. The seed produces by itself first the blade, and then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. Here's what this parable is saying. Is that God's kingdom growing, which God's kingdom growing is another phrase for disciple making. Jesus came to make disciples. We're making disciples of Jesus. That's how the kingdom advances. It's a spiritual domain on the hearts of men and women all over the face of the planet. Disciple making is it. He's saying it's like planting seed. So the farmer does all that he can to prepare the soil and make the soil as receptive as he possibly can to the life of the seed. And uh, and, and, and once he does all of this work, the job of the farmer is this. Wait. Wait. Pray. I, I, farmers, I bet they have solid prayer lives. Pray, wait, pray, wait. 
the, the reason is that God has to bring the, 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 the growth. You remember there, in 1 Corinthians 3, there was this passage where the church in Corinth is like, you know, I follow Apollos. No, I follow Paul. And, and Paul says, I think it's in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and maybe 7. And he says, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. Amen? That's what God does. God makes things grow. You don't make things grow. You're not the secret miracle grow solution to your kids' spiritual development or your discipleship groups or your coworkers or anything like that. What makes things grow is God's presence through the Holy Spirit, and He's pleased to use His Word to bring things to life. It's just what He does. This farmer, getting back to this, eventually looks over the field, and uh, you know he's, he's been going to bed every night and waking up, and there's nothing to be shown for it. He's like, yeah, I promise I'm a farmer, guys. I promise. And people are like, his neighbors are like, yeah, whatever. You know, there's nothing to prove. There's nothing to show for what you've been putting your work into. And he, he, he goes to sleep every night, gets up every day, does his craft, nothing to show for it. And then one day, all of a sudden, a little sprout sticking up. He's looking over to say, told you guys, look, look, look. And then a week later, it's grown more. And then growing more and more through the harvest to the harvest season. And then it's ready to multiply out so that other things can be planted from it. This is the mystery of spiritual growth. This is the mystery of how Jesus grows His church. We are diligent to be about the work of disciple-making, but we are trusting because only Jesus, through His Spirit, can make things come alive. This is what it's about. Investing our lives into others, you know what it requires? A release of control. A release of control because we can't make anyone mature in Christ. So that means that we're honest and we're faithful and we're diligent, but we hand over people to God and say, God, make it grow. Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 through 29, talks about the diligence that's required to make disciples and trust God. And I want you to flip over there real quick. And as you're flipping there, I just want to share this with you. Because God is the one that makes things grow, and God is eternal, and He lives forever, the things that God brings to life never die. I want you to hear that. Let me say it again. The things that God brings to life, they never die. The, the people that come to faith in Jesus, they never die. Their souls live forever. The ones that are His never fall away from Him because His power is the one that's keeping Him. His power is the one that makes us alive. John 6, 37-39, Jesus talks about this idea that he, he loses nothing that the Father has entrusted to Him. Maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe just personally, you just don't feel like God is near to you. He doesn't lose any of us. If we trust in Jesus, His Spirit keeps us close. Listen to what Paul, how he instructed the church in Colossae about spiritual growth. I want you to notice whose power Paul works with. Okay, that's the key, key point here. He says this, uh, he's writing, he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this glory, uh, the mystery of Christ. So Acts 1.8, it's going out. He's in Colossae. It's a Gentile uh, you know, place. It's a Gentile uh, city. And, and, and he says that the, this mystery is Christ in you. Not, not, not Christ 
uh, in another person, not Christ in a, in a different year or another set of circumstances, but Christ in you is the hope of glory. And he goes on to say, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Doesn't that sound like the Great Commission? Teaching and baptizing? They're, they've been going about doing this in Colossae. Listen to how he does it though. That we may present everyone, here's our word, mature in Christ. And how does he do that? How does he go about seeking to present those in Colossae? How do we go about seeking to present those in Lawrenceville, those in Gwinnett County, those in Atlanta, those across the world mature in Christ, those in our home mature in Christ? He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is how Paul goes about it. It's a different perspective than the farmer because toil is the word he uses to describe the work of disciple making. The work of clinging to Jesus and teaching other people to do the same thing. It's toil. Do you know what toil is? Toil is really hard. It's what you experience probably on Monday mornings. You know, it's just like, why can't anything go right? You know, toil. Why does that person seem like they're going backwards, you know? Why is that marriage falling apart, God? Why are these kids struggling? Why do I not have any friends, God? Why does this seem so hard? Because it's toil. And he says the way that he struggles and he toils is so that he can present everyone mature in Christ by Jesus' power that he's working powerfully within him. It's not Paul's power. It's not like, oh, Paul is so great. Paul was probably a dynamite preacher, by the way. However, it's Jesus' power living inside of him. Paul's not the key. Jesus is the key. And it's this mystery that's so hard to think about and to work through. So my question to you is this. As we're seeking to be mature in Jesus, and as we're seeking to help other people mature in Jesus, how do I know when I'm working with His energy or my own. I think the, the litmus test is this. Let's go back to the farmer. What did the farmer do every night? Scriptures say he, he, he rested. You know, he went, he went to bed at night. He went to sleep. And he got up the next morning and he kind of did the same thing he'd been doing. Is disciple making to you, whether it's your kids or others in this church or others outside of this church, is do you find yourself grasping? Do you find yourself frustrated? Do you find yourself angry? You're probably not living as fully in the power of God as you could be. You're probably not. Because the farmer rests even though there's nothing to show from his work. Church, the, the, the invitation is that we can rest even when there's nothing to show if we've been faithful, if we've done the things God's told us to do, if we've clung to Jesus and trying to help other people do that, we get to go to bed at night. And we get to wake up with new mercy. And we get to trust that God will bring the things to life that He's promised to bring to life. That He will do the maturing work. Maybe you're in here uh, this, this morning and, um, and people have been intentionally investing in your life and you've just been blowing them off. People get up to do a discipleship group with you and you say, ah, I just can't make it. I'd rather sleep today. Or you just kind of blow it off. And I'm not talking about legalism here. I'm just saying you haven't been grateful for the people that have been trying to give their lives away to you to make you more like Jesus. 
maybe God's got something for you today to, to acknowledge that. And maybe just go to that person and just say, hey, look, I just want to thank you. I know you got a family. I know you got a job. But you make time for me. And I realize that's because Jesus is alive in you. Because that doesn't happen anywhere else. I don't fit into anyone else's schedule like that. But you're seeking to pour into my life. What would it look like for us to have an attitude of, for lack of a better term, gratitude in that? To, uh, to see God's work in other people that are trying to invest in our lives. Maturity. Last thing is this. Multiply. So we got make, mature, multiply. The Holy Spirit begin, uh, begins to produce spiritual reproduction through our lives. Because of this, uh, as a church, I think God calls us to focus on the health and quality of the disciples that we're making instead of just the quantity. You know why? Healthy things reproduce. Healthy disciples make healthy disciples. And so sometimes life circumstances and seasons make our spiritual trajectory look a little bit different. But God is so in control over that. The key thought for this point is this as we, as we land the plane. Maturity is measured through sending capacity, not seeding capacity. Church, we don't want to be a mile wide and an inch deep. You know why? Because then whoever's up here on stage, if they die or they have a moral failure or whatever happens, the church disappears. I've seen it happen over and over again. But a church that seeks to be healthy and to sink their roots into Jesus and to make disciples that make disciples, this church will never disappear. It doesn't matter who's up here. Because Jesus is the one that is breathing life into us as a people. Jesus said this to his disciples right before he left. He'd, he'd, rosen, he'd risen from the dead and, and he was there with his disciples. And, and he says this in John 20, 21. As the Father has sent me, boys, as he sat there with them, so I am sending you. You're the sent ones. I know you maybe just want to hang out here in Jerusalem. You know, Thomas is a little scared and frustrated and angry. And, you know, Peter, yeah, he had that one thing we don't talk about anymore. But listen, I'm sending you. All of that is part of your story. I'm sending you. Go tell other people about me. Isn't it interesting how you look at Paul and when he shares the gospel in the book of Acts, he keeps bringing up the fact that he was the worst of sinners. That he was the one that was killing. His intent was to kill and murder Christians. That is part of his story that he shares, the witness, the testimony that he shares. And by the way, the Spirit's power comes to empower us to be witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone who has evidenced some type of life situation or circumstance, and they tell about that. When we're witnesses of Jesus, we're witnesses of the power of God to transform our lives and to make us more like Jesus. That's our story. It's really not about us. It's about how Jesus met us. We don't really have a story or power to share that story and that story have any power to change anyone unless Jesus is at the center of this thing. So listen to how the church kind of multiplies. It's interesting, just a few verses here. Acts 9.31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee had peace and was being built up. This is after, this is after Paul sought to kill them and it's, you know, saw the Paul, that whole story. So they were, they were terrified, rightfully so, for a season. But then after they saw that Paul had really been changed. That Jesus actually met him and he wasn't the same man. All of a sudden they were encouraged. And they had encouragement to maybe be bolder than they were before. 
And what happened in the church? Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of what? The Holy Spirit. The church multiplied. Because the Holy Spirit was keeping Jesus the main thing in their lives and in their church. Acts 13, I love this passage. Now they were uh, in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. You got the who's who of Jerusalem in the room, okay? I mean, this is like the Golden State Warriors or the 90s Bulls church. I mean, this is like a big deal. You got all these guys in the room. I'm thinking, man, they, they could be thinking, man, we could blow this thing up. Biggest mega church on the face of the planet. I mean, we got Paul preaching his whole story. We got, we got an in route with Herod the Tetrarch. I mean, guys, we could really blow this thing up. But what do they do? What do they do? While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, keyword, the Holy Spirit said maybe their plan was to be a giant megachurch in Jerusalem. I think that happened anyway. But the Holy Spirit had a different plan for their lives. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. I've got work for them to do. I've called them. And after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. They sent off their 18. They sent off their best. Church, what would it look like for New City Church to have such a depth of love for Jesus and a depth of discipleship and disciple making in here that we just send our best people off all the time? We just send them to bless the world. Do we have that type of a vision? It will, it will mean that we move from the consumeristic nature of church in America, especially in Atlanta. It will mean that we move away from that and we say, how can we send and bless the world? That's a different way to think about church, isn't it? It's what we see in Acts. We see the Holy Spirit pleased to be doing all over the face of the earth. And what we see from the Scriptures is that a life that does not multiply is a life that has experienced some type of a formation failure. And so all of us have walked in with different types of experiences, but what we seek is for Jesus to get us to a place with Him where we can multiply, make mature and multiply responsible disciple-makers. Responsible meaning people that take the Great Commission seriously, no matter what church they're a part of, no matter what the pastor up here is saying, it's a call themselves to go and make disciples for the sake of the kingdom. I was in a, the, the commencement uh, ceremony yesterday where I graduated in Charlotte, and, and they gave an honorary degree to this uh, South Korean pastor. And, uh, and he didn't speak any English. He had a translator. And, um, and as he was talking, um, one of the things he shared is, is that that the, the ten largest churches in the world are in South Korea. The ten largest in the world, South Korea. And, and the interesting thing that he shared that really struck me was that he said, you know, before the Korean War, Christianity wasn't even a, like a thing here. You know, it was barely like this. It was just little seeds of it here. But he said, through the support after the war, of countries such as the United States and others that sent missionaries to make mature and multiply responsible disciple makers. Here we are 65 years later with 10 of the largest churches in the world and maybe one of the highest percentages of Christians in a country. And not only that, the most impressive thing that he shared was that there were, there were uh, 600 basically refugees that had crossed over 
from North Korea that he baptized just last year. So the gospel has gone from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, Colossae, United States, South Korea, North Korea. That's the power that the gospel has. And Jesus wants to use us, church. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we just we glory in Jesus this morning. The fact that what He says about us is the most true thing that can ever be said about anyone. And that any other weapon that's fashioned against us is straight from the pit of hell, God. And so this morning, as, as your church hears your word, and they're confronted with Jesus and His work on this earth, God, would we be encouraged and challenged to toil and struggle with all of your energy that you desire to powerfully work within us so that we can see the face of this planet worship Jesus Christ as Lord? Would you make his life come true even more in us this morning through the power of the Spirit? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.